So uh, welcome everybody back to the SSD podcast or Brains and Gains podcast. I don't know which podcast this is again, right? <laughs> <laughs> but I am here with Dave McConey, and uh, we will have some interesting things that we will cover in today's episode. But um, I guess we cannot miss the little bit of talk for the beginning. If you're not interested in that, there will be timestamps so you can just skip it. But I think we have to touch a bit on the situation that we are in. So Dave, uh, how are you doing and how are you doing in, in the context of what's happening everywhere at the moment? Um, it's a little crazy, man. I mean, it's, it's very crazy. It's not <laughs> a little crazy. At first, it was kind of like, all right, well, you know, maybe we'll get some time off, you know, whatever. And I was thinking it's going to be two weeks like that. You know, I could go for two weeks off. But honestly, it just seems to be getting crazier and crazier. And it's, it's wild because right now so much is being done based on the projections, not based on the fact that, you know, it's not like thousands and thousands of people within somebody's given state are already dead from this or something. You know, it's it's just that when we look at the patterns, we are fearful of the potential of what could happen. So now, I mean, people know I'm a dentist. And so we close our office for two weeks. At this point, it looks like it's going to be at least three weeks. California just mandated like an eight week like shutdown basically. I mean, it's just getting crazier and crazier. I'm seeing a lot of speculation that things are going to go until May. Um, so it, even some people now are starting to talk about, you know, is the cure worse than the disease? Meaning that is this social isolation worse than, you know, the actual disease itself? Yeah. And I, I don't know what the right answer there is. I mean, of course it sucks to think like, man, maybe, you know, 2 million people would die if we did nothing and a million people would die if we, you know, control it. It's like, okay, well, we can save those million lives. And that, that is true, of course, but, um, or, you know, so, some level of lives will be saved by the social distancing and all that. But you also have to consider how many lives are going to be ruined by this economic turmoil. You know, I mean, people yes. are losing their jobs. I mean, tons and tons of people are losing their jobs. It, it's crazy. So when you consider that, and then they're not going to be able to afford healthcare. Or, you know, the fact that all the beds and everything in the hospitals are taken up. You know, you have people dying from other things. There's, there's just so much craziness going on. Um, so, fortunately, I still have my job. <laughs> but who knows what next month will show. Yeah, I mean, that's that's something that I've been thinking about in recent days a lot. Uh, that, I mean, the social isolation thing is great in that, um, I mean, there will be a difference, of course, in how many people will die by the end of it, like the net amount of deaths will be less this way, if we can avoid what's happening in Italy, for example, that they have to choose between who is getting saved and who isn't. I mean, I think I even read that people over the age of 80 are not getting treatment anymore, because there are just no more beds and no more like ventilation devices and things like that. So if right. we can avoid that, then yes, we will have an, a net less amount of people dying, but at the same time, to a large extent, uh, the total amount of people infected will be similar, or it will be the same eventually anyway, mm -hmm. and the number of people dying will be similar as well. It's uh, So it's almost like the better we are with the social isolation, basically we are just delaying the inevitable to a large extent. So it also means that this whole thing will be like this for longer, which means that the economy will be crashed for longer. So yeah, it's, it is very interesting. Like you said, like is the cure in some ways beyond a certain point worse than what we are trying to cure? You know, so yeah, pretty interesting. Yeah, I mean, obviously everybody's what we're trying to do right now is flatten the curve. Like you said, you're not going to reduce 
overall, you're probably not going to reduce the number of people who eventually get it. The idea is just that hopefully when they get it, by that point, hospital beds are available and, you know, people are able to do much. Uh, there is a misconception that I've seen people talking about, oh, we need more ventilators, we need more ventilators. I just saw some data showing that by the time you're so bad that you need a ventilator, 97% of patients who were put on a ventilator died anyway. So now that, that wasn't a huge sample size. I think it was something like 32 people were put on a ventilator in this in this given data and uh, 31 of them ended up dying. But the point is just basically like people are thinking like, oh, if, you, if we just had more ventilators, all these lives would be saved. And like, that's really not the, what I'm seeing. What I'm seeing is that if you're that bad already, you're probably going to die anyway. So yeah. um, <laughs> not to be negative, but it's, it's definitely not good. Um, but I mean, I'm just seeing like, so many lives ruined right now by being laid off and just it, it is kind of crazy so i guess we'll see what happens in the coming weeks yeah and uh and the whole thing with this is like it would be really easy to get behind this social isolation thing or not to get behind it but to feel optimistic about it that okay let's do everything that we can let's stay home and let's m minimize the chances of anybody getting infected that would be really awesome if we knew that the cure or the vaccine will be around in like a month or something. It's like, okay, mm -hmm. sure. I won't even leave the the bedroom. Like I won't even like I won't even walk around in the house too much because who knows, I could run into something. But if the vaccine will come in like 18 months, I mean, are we gonna stay in the house for 18 months or you know? So it's it's just uh, a scary kind of outlook when you think about how the next, you know, unforeseeable amount of time could look like. Right. Yeah, it, it is wild. Yeah. So how are you holding up uh, thus far? How how were you? Um, I don't know. How are you spending your days or how has this impacted you personally so far? Um, right now, I'm just kind of hanging, <laughs> hanging out. Um, I did kind of like a BS home workout on Tuesday. Um, and it, it's crazy, actually. So I know a lot of people are like, oh, my God, I'm so bored. It, it's honestly, it is really interesting to see people's patterns when stuff like this happens. So like, Probably half the women I know have been like, oh my God, like you got to stock up on alcohol. The alcohol stores are closing, which is just like totally different than the world I live in, you know, as far as like, I just don't really drink much. So that's just like a foreign concept of like, I got to stock up right now. Um, people are talking about how they're going to be so bored. They don't have enough Netflix to watch. And I'm just like, I guess it's just not how I tend to live my life. But like, man, I have so much that I could be doing right now. Like, I really think even if we had like a full two, three weeks off, like I'd still be doing stuff. Like I have all this stuff for the podcast. I have projects going on. I have the charity stuff. I have, you know, I'm trying to sell a car. I mean, there's just so many things. And that's just like the kind of like productive things. And then there's like the fun things like I would want to do, like reading books or, you know, video games or whatever. Um, so I am very far from bored. And honestly, I've been staying up even later and, and still waking up around the same time, <laughs> except for today, which is why I was a little late. <laughs> but uh, but for the most part, I mean, I'm just, I'm just still going, you know, full bore but with other things that are not necessarily directly like my job. Like what, for example, give, give, give me some examples. Maybe you can inspire me a bit. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, for one, the podcast, so I've already recorded. So if people are you know consistently on my channel, it's been mostly podcasts. I haven't put out too many of my own individual videos yet or, you know, just lately because honestly, I've just been very busy. And so I already recorded two videos. Um, I'll probably do another one or two solo videos later. Um, so just putting more into my channel, I'd like to start looking. And, and that's like something I'd like to do more of. I just haven't had a ton of time. Um, I'm, I'm actually trying to sell this car, which unfortunately, terrible timing because of course now nobody wants to be buying a car. Nobody wants to be spending any money right now. So I, I probably missed a good window to get rid of this extra car I have. Um, stuff around for my office, you know, right now there is a whole thing on like, how are we trying to mitigate our losses here? You know, if patients aren't coming in, 
money doesn't come from nowhere. So, you know, mm. it, it's going to be potential big issue there. Um, and then honestly spending, I probably spend a couple hours per day reading updates and everything on the coronavirus and where things are going there. So, um, it's definitely been keeping me busy and my main issue right now, not really a huge issue, but I need to figure out, you know, home workouts. I know you had a, a really great home workout <laughs> that you, you put out there, but uh, I'm, I'm missing my, uh, Cybex machines and my, my pullover machines. So oh. I've, uh, I know I've got a pleb workout going on here where I just have some like 10 pound plates and I'm literally loading my like neck harness and I just loaded it with like 30 pounds and I'm at 40 pounds. I'm doing curls with that. I'm doing like overhead extensions. And my, my arms are actually pretty damn sore the next day. Um, loaded push-ups were pretty much to failure, but there's only so much that I can really do here. So I might head home and try to do like a home workout there. Yeah. Yeah. It is interesting. Um, the whole home workout thing is, um, I mean, we were just talking about this in the last episode that I uh, recorded with Sotak Andre. That really, from at least a, a, an upper body perspective, home workouts are really not that difficult to manage. I mean, if you have really, really limited equipment, I mean, you can be pretty much fine, just because you can. It's not that hard to find movements for your upper body muscles that you can do in the, you know. 15 to 20 rep range at least um the lower body to yours yet but what are you guys doing for back so for back i mean so you can do basically pull-off variations and chin-off variations if you have somewhere to hang from and then if you want to do some horizontal pulling stuff then um I mean, essentially, I mean, if you have some dumbbells that are at least somewhat heavy, you know, at least like 20 kilos or something, then you can do stuff with that. But even if you're just like loading a, a backpack or a luggage full of heavy stuff, which is will be a bit bulky and a bit annoying, but you can do some like rowing type movements with that. Um, so, yeah, that, that's my only issue I've had is for back because for chest, yeah, weighted push ups actually, I mean, they were hard, Like just loading up after the because I did it at the end of my workout. So I figured let me fatigue the arms first. So curls, I could easily go to failure overhead extension. I could go to failure. Shoulder press was a little tricky. My left shoulder was like shaking trying to do it, but it was okay. And push ups, I could go to failure too. I don't have like a bar here really to do pull up variations. Um, so that's been my issue is just trying to find a good way to like stimulate my back. As of right now, I haven't really. I tried to do. I tried to load up the neck harness with. Uh, I have like eighty pounds and ten pound weights, but mm. uh, there's just not like a good area. It kind of hangs too low, so they would kept hitting the floor. Um, but honestly, yeah, if I could find a place to do pull ups, I'd be good. Yeah, I mean the thing is, uh, so I I don't have that either in the house. I bought one of those simple pull up bars that you know like what's it called iron gym total upper body workout bar i'm just looking at the box so that's mm -hmm. actually really smart uh because you can clip it onto your door frame you don't have to use screws and you don't you need to use anything but the thing is that i didn't look at before is that the walls in this apartment are too thick so it actually doesn't mm -hmm. go up uh because the door frames are like it just doesn't fit so but i mean you can just like, I mean, I don't know, just walk around in the neighborhood and uh, just find some random place where you can hang from. I mean, hopefully it's not in the backyard of a neighbor or something because they might right. look at yeah, you strangely. Right, yeah, there's probably like a tree or something <laughs> somewhere around here I could go yeah. on. Yeah, pretty much. Or if there's like a playground or something, I don't know. But um, yeah, so it's not that difficult. But the thing that surprised me how challenging I found that to be is to just actually get myself to do it because I didn't expect that to be a challenge, honestly, because I looked at myself for the longest time as someone who, if anything, my problem is, is that I cannot get away from working out 
sometimes too much. But mm-hmm. it turns out that it's very different when you have like the whole process of going to a gym. It's a ritual in and of itself. So you go there, you have your little things that you do, you change in the changing room, you do your workout, and then you go home. Then you have your li- little rituals afterwards. But then t- just to pick a random time in the day when, okay, and now I'm going to drop on the floor and start banging out push-ups. I'm actually surprised how like unmotivated I felt so far. Granted, it's only been a week, but right. um, yeah, I-, I will have to get into the groove of things. Yeah, it can be hard to kind of force yourself to do it. I would eventually love to get a home gym. It's just I've moved around so much. It's just not made sense. Um, cause I mean, I've basically just rented and then I move and I rent and I move all over again. So, um, uh, at some point, I mean, this would obviously be a great time to have a home gym, but so far <laughs> I haven't gotten there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it is definitely something. I mean, now we can all envy these people. Like so far I've been looking at, cause I, I have a really cool gym here. It's small in size, but they have everything that I would ever need basically. And so far, I've been even looking at people like Jeff Alberts as, Jesus Christ, like this guy has to get by in that gym with that really limited equipment. I mean, if I had something like what he has, that's like luxury. He has like Smith machine and leg press and leg curl machine and pull right, down, right. whatever. But uh, even I have a couple of clients who have home gyms and one of them just has this squat rack and like a kind of rudimentary cable stack in his room. It's, it's kind of like a dorm room and he has just that little corner set up for that. And I looked at that. It's like, well, it's great if he enjoys doing that. But to me, it would be so depressing to do my workouts in there. But now, <laughs> I, now I'm really envious of him. So yeah, yeah, for sure. Makes you reconsider things. Um, what, what are you doing um, diet-wise? So you've been just in the groove of things with your cutting phase. Um, I'm imagining that it was annoying uh, when your gym closed. Yeah, so I actually, um, when you and I were talking maybe last week and we were talking about refeeds versus, you know, just more steady deficits. So before, just for the first maybe like five weeks or so, I was basically having a big refeed and then I'd go to low calories. And I think both methods are fine. Like I really don't think it's like a huge difference. This week, I've just kind of kept it at more steady, you know, 2,200 or so, which is still, you know, for somebody my body weight is, is pretty low. Um, so this morning I'm down to 195.2. So that's pretty much tied with the lowest I've been on this cut. And I'm sure that if I stay at 2200, I will continue to drop, but I'm not, I mean, I wouldn't say I'm uncomfortable continuing the diet if I can get some good workouts in, um, you know, having just one average workout on Tuesday, I, I think I'm still okay to be in a deficit at least this week, but depending on what workouts I can do this weekend, I might probably just slow it down, maybe get to around 194 and then just kind of maintain, um, until everything kind of clears up, but nutritionally, not nothing's like too different right now. I just don't want to be in a severe deficit. I'm not really comfortable continuing to lose one to two pounds a week without really proper workouts. Um, just because right now, I mean, I'm like fighting to maybe even get a little leaner than last time, and like I think it's going to take doing a lot of things correctly to get there. So I just don't want to have anything kind of messing that up. Um, but yeah, just 2,200 calories right now. Um, you know, nothing, nothing crazy. The only difference I would notice is that before, because I was working, I could easily skip meals and like, like intentionally, you know, maybe I eat a lot on a Sunday and then on Monday, maybe I do like a 24 hour fast. I don't eat until I get home. Um, and I don't really even think about it. And here I've still been busy. So it actually hasn't been too bad. And thankfully I haven't been too hungry. So I'm not super food focused, but I definitely am aware of like, okay, like when's my next meal? Like right now I have a huge thing of coffee next to me. Um, so I'll probably just sip on that until I eat at like 12 and then I'll eat at four and then eight. Um, so I'm kind of doing like the intermittent fasting thing, but 
that's probably the main thing is like, you know, they say when you're getting really lean, which I'm definitely not at this point, but when you get really lean, you want to have a distraction, you know, from yeah. the hunger, from the food. Um, so that's definitely tough if anybody's trying to do a severe deficit right now and they're just sitting around at home with all this food, that's definitely tough. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's, that's definitely, that's definitely a big challenge. Um, and I don't know, slowly, I guess this is a slow transition towards our actual topic, but, um, just lately, especially cause now in Macedonia, it's really strange. We, we basically have two seasons. We have like really shit winter, which is not shit in that it's super cold. It's just like no sunshine, super polluted air, really depressing, a lot of rain. And then all of a sudden it's just like summer, but so uncomfortably warm that you don't right. even want to leave the house. So we have these two seasons and slowly this latter one is approaching. And mm -hmm. I was thinking that, you know what, like my diet was a long time ago and I'm not like fat, but you know, like slowly it would be a time to like cut back a little bit just to get a little bit leaner, you know, whatever in looser or tighter clothing slowly the jackets are coming off it would be nicer to walk around a bit leaner right i still find myself having this bit of a ptsd from my previous <laughs> diet i mean honestly just from like walking around like just walking around in the same like neighborhoods that i did my whatever got in my fifteen thousand steps before it's right, um right. i just find myself really not wanting to do it and now it's with this home time it's just like you said even more challenging so yeah will be something that i will have to work around or find find something that really distracts me full from all of these things um, how quickly did you go up in weight when you did the uh when you like because originally you cut down to about i think 167 pounds or so yeah and now i think you're sitting what mid 180s yeah yeah exactly so um i actually don't know what i'm weighing right now because i didn't weigh in in like two weeks um but uh yeah, I mean, at first, my weight jumped up by, like, maybe two, three kilos in the first first month, maybe even four. So I, I made a big jump initially. For a while, mm -hmm. I was trying to do it really, really slowly, but I just couldn't take how shit I felt. Not just hunger-wise, but the whole thing. So mm -hmm. I, I made a larger jump initially, and after that, I went up maybe, like, a kilo a month. So it was a okay. pretty pretty reasonable rate of weight gain. Gotcha. Um yeah, and I guess it has been a while then. Was that over the summer? The cut? Yeah. When was that? So was that, that long ago. Yeah, I mean, I I um, basically started dieting in right at the beginning of August, basically. Okay. And but I was kind of like leaner before that as well. Uh, I think even you uh, asked me in some Instagram comment how much I was weighing there because I was in pretty decent shape, and mm -hmm. then I went on that diet, and it was maybe twelve weeks in total um fairly aggressive gotcha, okay. actually so but anyway um there was something else i wanted to mention but i forgot about it oh yeah yeah i had a question um what what foods are you eating on this cut just um what, what are your like go-to foods for satiety or what are what is kind of the bulk of your diet and then what are kind of the higher calorie options if there are any that you're trying to fit into your day-to-day -day diet even on these lower calorie days yeah it's funny i wouldn't even say that when i when i'm like bulking that's when i could i'm like less food focused right so if i wanted to i could like fit in all these different things but i just don't care as much um and then when i start cutting all of a sudden the food focus comes and now i'm thinking oh man this would be great this would be great this would be great but that's like when i can't have it ironically <laughs> so yeah. um right now it's pretty basic just to keep me full and i really i really haven't been dealing with that much hunger so that's been nice um, i'm kind of surprised because i'm down 10 pounds roughly maybe nine 
And normally, like right away, hunger goes up quite a lot and libido goes down a lot. And neither of those have really happened so far. You know, hunger has been fine um, and libido has still been high. So I'm not sure what was different this year, but so far everything seems good. Um, but food wise, you know, I mean, it's really the, the basic stuff, nothing really surprising. You know, like I said, I'll have the coffee with some almond milk in the morning. Um, if I'm like really hungry, like if I just happen to be that day or I just honestly like right now, just cause like I'm bored, um, I'll have like chicken broth and like, almost just like a little soup, just like give me something like chicken broth with vegetables. Most of my meals are just combination of protein source, which is almost always chicken, sometimes steak, sometimes some like seafood, um, vegetables, which would be like spinach or butternut squash. I've been having a lot lately, which I really like a little bit of cheese and some avocado. And like <laughs> that very, that meal variation is just like what I have each time. Like I could look back on like the fifth day account that I'm still using and it's like, Butternut squash, avocado, chicken. Next one is butternut squash, avocado, chicken. <laughs> Next one mm. is spinach, shrimp, avocado. Like that with some cheese and like I'm, I'm pretty good. So you're eating mainly savory stuff? You're not eating a lot of fruits and things like that? Um, the only fruit I've been having is at the very end of the day. I'll have like a, it's almost like a banana ice cream where it's just frozen bananas and that's blended up. And I'll have that made with like a little peanut butter. Um, and that's, that's actually pretty good. You know, it's not, obviously it's not as good as ice cream, but it's kind of like a banana froyo. Uh, I've been doing that for a couple of years now, actually. And I just put it in a food processor. Uh, and that, like, I like to kind of end the night with sweet, but other than that, not really. Okay, nice. So, um, cool. So that was a cool transition since you mentioned that you were not as hungry, uh, now <laughs> during your diet, <laughs> but I right. heard you mention that earlier you were struggling with hunger quite a bit more. So... Yeah, I want us to talk about that a little bit, just how our experiences were before and how is how is it now with regards to hunger and how it might be for other people. So I know that you had a bit of an interesting story where you were diagnosed with low thyroid and then you went on thyroid medication. So can you go into a bit of a story time and uh, just tell me and tell us about all of that stuff because it would be interesting? Sure. So I was... Let me see. I was probably 22 and I had had my thyroid tested and I mean, it was on the low end for sure, like below normal, but like not that much below normal. So it was one of those things where it's like I went to the doctor and at the time I'm thinking like, hey, anything I can do to be more optimized would be great. So I'm saying like, hey, you know, this isn't that great. And I mean, I've always kind of just had like some fatigue and whatnot. So I figured like maybe this is part of it. So they had put me on thyroid hormone um, and that was, I think, definitely a regrettable decision um, because it just, you know, my like heart rate got pretty high. The dose was too high. And I think just initially, like, I, I don't know. I, I don't think it was done medically how it should have been done. So at this point, I absolutely could eat more calories and maintain weight. But the thing is, like, unless you're on high doses of anabolics, it's not like having high thyroid hormone is great for you. You know, like as far as like even like muscle retention, I could lose like three pounds in a week eating 2,500 calories, but that wasn't good weight. Like, I mean, my strength just was horrible. I mean, I went from 225 for seven on incline bench to 225 for two in like two weeks. I mean, it was, it was not good. Um, so that was one thing. Like I definitely, unless you're like on anabolics, I would not recommend it for fat loss. Um, but then secondly, I mean, it just, it wasn't like really necessary because once I got back to bulking up and everything off, thyroid hormone, my, my thyroid, my thyroid levels were normal. So I, I don't think it was something that I really like needed or had should have had prescribed for me. Um, but I will say it definitely gave me some interesting 
insights. And one of the things that I had mentioned in that, like telling that story was that it really seemed to change my hunger. And this was like just the perfect storm of poor eating habits and like a bad relationship with food because I had just gotten pretty lean. So I was down to like 170 at the time and I had had been on the thyroid hormone and I'm thinking like, okay, I'm going to just like really lean. Well, lo and behold, I started like just having these like massive cheat days. I just moved to an area with there, there was like a lot of like great restaurants and everything. So I was having honestly like a full on cheat day, probably every third or fourth day. And then I would like crash after that and then I'd have another one. It just wasn't good. So the thyroid hormone though, I mean, it made me crazy hungry. And I don't know if it was just how much I was on or what, but I literally for like 12 years just never cheated on my diet. I just, I mean, I literally would like keep track of how long it had been since I even had like a, a cheat meal or, you know, a meal off what my diet plan was. And for the first time in my life, I had numerous nights where I would like be up at until like one, two in the morning, just like having that battle. If anybody's ever had any like binging before, you just kind of know like there's this almost like internal battle you have with your head of like, ah, maybe I should have this. Ah, maybe I shouldn't, maybe I should have it. And then like you maybe convince yourself, well, my night weight is light. So, uh, you know, maybe I can justify it. You know, you just, you do these things, which is like, I used to do that. I used to weigh in in the morning and at night. And if it's like, well, my night weight is kind of low, like this should be fine. I can start my cheat day the night before or whatever, you know? And, um, I would just, I would, you know, have uh, like rice crispy treats and cereals or whatever. So it was definitely not a good time as far as like my relationship with food. Um, and thankfully I have nothing like that or even close to that now, but uh, it, it gave me an appreciation for the people who really struggle with like hunger because, you know, as you and I were talking about, I think it was on the podcast with Steve, but um, people, or no, maybe it was in our Instagram, but people will oftentimes just say like, oh man, this person, why don't they just stop eating? Or why don't they just do this? And it's like, man, like just imagine the hungriest you've ever been. And imagine if like you just finished a meal and you still felt like that. Like people want to think that they have all this willpower, including me, you know, I, and I do think I have good willpower when it comes to diet, but part of that is also just, you know, it, there's a certain level that you can tolerate, you know, nobody could really stay contest lean year round, regardless of willpower, you know, you feel like yeah. crap, it just beats you down. And just imagine now again, I'm not saying everybody who's fat has this issue. Some people who are fat are are actually just lazy and not committed. Some people who are fat are dealing with depression and food is kind of their only source of happiness. There's a lot of reasons. But for some people, they do have this insatiable hunger. And that's got to be very tough. I mean, if, if they're just one of those genetic outliers, that sucks. And, you know, there's only so much you can put up with it before you just have to eat again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Damn. So that's a lot of cool topics. And I, I want to get into all of these. But, um, but first of all, just to reflect on your case specifically, those times when you just felt like you were hungry all the time and you woke up in the middle of the night that you had to eat. I mean, were those before the thyroid medication or they just started when you were on that was when i was on it and i'm not going to act like i never dealt with hunger you know before the thyroid certainly like well before anything with the thyroid hormone i had times where i would go ahead and like you know i would have these big cheat days i mean that, that started years before that um and i definitely had obsessions with food and, and all that so it definitely wasn't just because of the thyroid I was just saying that it it did seem to increase my hunger and it also kind of gave me this out where I just figured like, oh, well, if I have this cheat day, it's fine because I'm taking thyroid hormones. So like it'll just make up for it anyway. Um, it was just and, you know, you can kind of see that with people who really get into like, you know, PEDs and things like that, where they just think like, eh, like I, I literally know people who have stopped training and they continue taking anabolics either because of a surgery or because they just <laughs> that's just what they take year round i know one guy who 
literally takes testosterone and Tren year round. Jeez. And he doesn't work out anymore. He like literally doesn't work out and he's still got plenty of muscle and everything. Um, but they kind of use it as like, well, it'll make up for it. And honestly, it probably will. But like, that doesn't mean that you should develop those patterns. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's pretty wild that someone would actually do that. Um, but, yeah. um, okay. So yeah, what, what you just mentioned at the end of that, you know, it is pretty crazy because, uh, like you said, there's a lot of reasons why people have an issue losing weight or getting a bit leaner. But one thing, um, one thing that I've been thinking about is, is exactly what you just said that, I mean, you know, we all take our individual experiences as kind of the baseline. So I know how hungry I am at different body fat percentages. So I know how I felt when I was 7% body fat. I know how I am when I'm approaching 20% body fat. And when I'm just at my normal kind of leanish athletic type look, how I am during those times. So it's easy for me to think that everybody should be the same way. Uh, but at the same time, yeah, if I if I imagined that the way I felt when I was at 7% body fat, you know, still in a deficit, just everything is revolving around food, waking up in the middle of the night, thinking about food, waking up in the morning, the first thought is literally food. Uh, if I imagine that someone maybe at 20% body fat is already feeling like that, I don't know how frequently or if that happens. But if that is, and then maybe someone like that would come to someone as a client and the coach is baffled why they just cannot adhere and they have all these challenges, it would be easy to think that that person is just a pussy, you know, they are just sure, lacking yeah. willpower altogether. But I mean, imagine that. And then, I mean, where, where would that even end? I mean, maybe for those people, it is, it could be literally impossible to get into close to stage condition. I don't know. It's pretty fascinating. Yeah. I mean, there's certainly going to be people who it, it's just too much of a struggle to do it. And again, I mean, that, that's probably the minority. You know, most people can lose fat enough to get to what most people would consider lean. Um, but, you know, you, you just can't ignore the fact that there are those people out there that are going to have a, a really hard time beyond what you're maybe used to dealing with. Yeah. And and the the thing that is kind of more more of a personally sensitive topic to me or just personally interesting at least is that the same thing applies in the other direction as well so you know for the longest time i had this what i hopefully don't have anymore but this very cynical or almost i, I just had this annoyance towards people who were coming into my facebook group and typing messages like hey guys so i have such a hard time eating enough food and one guy said that um, if you if if you're listening to this, dear commenter who said this, I apologize in retrospect if <laughs> I was a bit too cynical. But this guy said that he doesn't go out to eat with his friends to restaurants because he's concerned that in a restaurant he would not be getting in enough calories. And you know, for me, I was I was reading that and I was thinking that man, you know, I one of my personal prides and kind of accomplishments is is that through years of trial and error, failures and struggles, I managed, for example, to develop simple systems for myself, which allows me to go out to a restaurant, enjoy myself, have a social experience, and not overeat. That is something mm -hmm. that I take pride in. And then some jackass comes in and says that his, <laughs> his problem is to not get enough calories in a restaurant. It was like, you know what, dude, just get your shit together. Don't freaking kid, kid <laughs> us and just go and fuck yourself. Like, honestly, that was my mindset. I, I, honestly, <laughs> I honestly thought that some people have just such a comfortable life that they are just inventing problems for themselves. 
now I'm honestly saying, luckily, that I no longer have that perspective because deep down I knew that probably I am wrong because the world is just not that simple and people are just different. And mm -hmm. if I imagine myself at, say, 20% body fat where my hunger signals are very low, much lower than they would be when I'm at 12% body fat, let's say, I wake up in the morning, usually not the least bit hungry. It will be a couple of hours until I even desire to eat anything nutritious and healthy. I go out to a restaurant, I don't really have any kind of cravings, and if I go for something really tasty and big and kind of overdo food a little bit, mm -hmm. you know, I can feel pretty damn uncomfortable. It's I feel gross, it's like, oh my god, all these foods, Jesus Christ, what have I done, and my stomach <laughs> feels distended. And yeah, food is not so much fun in that context. And if I can, if I imagine someone feeling like that after every single meal almost, even if they don't eat a lot, I mean, that would not be so much fun. I mean, I can imagine that being being an issue, you know, so people are just different. Yeah, no, I mean, you see that. I mean, I even look at like my parents and, you know, it's interesting because like my dad has always had like I've always kind of like admired how much he had done, you know, like just with his life. You know, he was in law school while running a business, while having just had my um, my brother and um, being with my mom and, and working at an airline. I mean, there's just like so many things going on that he was able to do, but he's never really successfully been able to lose weight and keep it off. And there's, you see that with a lot of like highly successful people where it's like, man, like this person's a CEO of a company and they're like so dedicated to work, but they're obese. They just like can't control their diet. And part of that could be willpower in different areas, but part of it is just what is their natural predisposition. So I look at my mom and she's just always naturally been thin. She's pretty much the same weight she was in high school. And the thing is, she just doesn't have an appetite. Like she, she genuinely doesn't find these like really palatable foods as good. You know, I mean, she'll, she'll eat some junk food, but I'm just saying for her, she'll have like half a salad and like, she's good. Her breakfast, she'll get up, she'll have like two hard boiled eggs and she's good. So is it really that like she has more willpower than my dad? No, it's just that her hunger it just isn't there um and, and so you know people want to say like oh like you know it's not just about genetics and it's obviously not just about genetics but there is something to be said for this kind of body weight and body fat set point where maybe it's not a specific point but you're always going to have factors kind of pushing you towards where your body naturally wants to be and that's just <laughs> that's just kind of how it is um and you can really see that i mean yes we have the select few of us who are just so obsessive that we, you know, we, we really have to, I don't know, but like we track our calories all the time and it's just become part of our lifestyle. But most people aren't like that. And, and there's a reason it becomes so hard to hit a goal weight or a goal like, you know, body and stay with it. Yeah. And what's really interesting about all of this is someone could come back at this and say, okay, you know what, maybe there are people who have a naturally bigger appetite and smaller appetite. Some people's metabolisms adapt faster. Some people will get stronger, hunger signals faster. But you can always make up for that with higher satiety foods. And that is true to a large extent. I mean, the people who, so let's say there is that really unlucky individual who is at 25% body fat is already feeling like I do at seven. So maybe that that is the case. Still, it is, I think, statistically very, very unlikely that you will walk in on uh, an overweight or obese person who is really struggling to get leaner. You walk in on them and they're sitting at the kitchen table with a massive bowl of salad 
and they're looking at you with their mouths full of salad and they're like, oh, sorry, I broke down again. I, I just cannot control myself. This was the fifth <laughs> bowl of salad that I ate today. Right. <laughs> that, that is probably unlikely, right? So usually, yes, hunger signals will differ and all of those things, but generally the people who have a really hard time getting leaner, the biggest challenge for them is that they just cannot break away from really calorie dense and really, really tasty foods. And that is going to be true in general. However, the degree to which someone is getting like a really strong hedonic response from those foods probably also differs. So I, I know people who, I mean, some of them are fitness professionals. They are really smart. They have a lot of experience. But for them to just not eat candy and not eat these super sweet, super pleasurable stuff is really, really difficult to break away from all of that. For me, I, li I like eating. So that that is a challenge for me that I kind of, you could call me an emotional eater. You know, I have a bad day. I eat something. It doesn't even have to be super tasty, but I can just eat something and it makes me feel mm -hmm. a little bit better. But I'm not really a foodie. Like I don't really require super tasty stuff. So, right. but if but if I got that kind of a response from eating a, a pizza or something that I would be like, Jesus Christ, like this is like heroin, probably <laughs> would be a lot more difficult to break away from all of that. So yeah, it's actually, it's, it's almost more fascinating to me or interesting to me at this point than, and I mean, I noticed 3DMJ going in this direction years ago. And I think it's because we know how to lose fat. Like it's really not that complicated at all. It's hard for some people, for a lot of people, but it's not, it's, it's so basic at this point. It's just like, yeah, you just literally need to eat less calories than you burn or sorry, you need to burn more calories than you eat. Yeah. Either way. Yeah. And, um, it's, it's just basic right now. That's really hard for a lot of people long-term. Um, but it's, I don't know. It's, I wouldn't say it's boring to me, but it's just kind of like, how much can you talk about it? But when you start talking about all these different things about like different genetics and, and how people's different society plays in and people's different activity levels and how, like what really goes into that, even just like the psychology behind it, that I find is interesting because, you know, what, what's the quote? Like we don't have a weight loss problem in America. We have a like weight maintenance problem. People lose the weight all the time, but they can't keep it off. And I think a lot of that is more important even not even just interesting but it's more important than how can we lose fat the fastest like man like whether you lose two pounds this week or three pounds doesn't matter nearly as much as once you've gotten the weight off how are you going to keep it off yeah and that's where i mean for example i really found it to be fascinating what greg knuckles posted on his journey that for him really the, the biggest challenge is just eating bland foods which for me is not mm -hmm. for example because i'm not really a foodie when I'm done with a cut, for me, it's pretty easy to just eat more, just adding some more fats and almost view it as, as a calorie supplement of some sort. Like, okay, I finished this cut. My libido was a bit low. I can tell that I'm a bit low in fats. So instead of two eggs in this meal, I will have three or four. Or mm -hmm. I will, instead of half an avocado, I will have a full avocado or something like that. But for some people, um, I mean, it is just actually not a sustainable strategy for them to completely forego some of these really yummy foods, but for some of them, it actually is a workable strategy to have just a little bit of that. Um, so yeah, I don't know if you read that post of his, but he said that, you know, I'm still eating some donuts and th these things, but I will just have a bite of that donut mm -hmm. or something like that. And to me, that's super awesome that someone can actually figure that strategy out and it actually works for them. Personally, for me, if I tried to do that, that would be like playing with the heroin needle basically like i it would just be a massive struggle of, of willpower so 
I don't yeah, know. I mean, there's definitely a level where it's not worth it to me. And like people would say that, I mean, and, I, and I've done it both ways, you know, I'd be like, okay, I'll just have a bite of this. And I like to be able to just have a bite of something for sure. But there are times where somebody's like, oh, like just have this. And it's like, there's a point where it's just not even worth it to me. And it's not even like, oh, because I, if I have one, I'm going to binge or something like that. It's more just like, it's like if somebody said like, hey, like you can have half a piece of pizza. It's like, I don't want half a piece of pizza. Like I, <laughs> it's just, yeah. uh, to me, it's like, no, like I'll either have two pieces of pizza or more, or I'm just going to eat something else. Like, I, I mean, yeah, I guess I could incorporate it. So I have the half piece of pizza along with the rest of my meal, but it's like, I don't really care enough to do that. <laughs> Excuse me. Except like maybe if it was like a social situation where it's like, that's what's available. Then it's like, okay, I'll just eat, you know, what's there and I'll just, you know, modify the amount. But for the most part, I would rather just have a time when I can eat like how much of it I actually want to eat rather than just having like a bite here or there. Again, though, like I can think of an exception recently where somebody had a birthday and so like I just was interested in trying the cake because it was different. So I had like two bites of the cake. But but normally, no, I, I wouldn't just want to have like a bite of donut here or like, you know, a piece of cake or something like that normally. Yeah. Uh, speaking of the maintenance or and by the way, I am the same way. Uh, that's my for the longest time. That was my policy with desserts in restaurants. I'm when I'm going out to eat. I will have my main dish. I will have a glass or two of wine generally, and then I will just skip the dessert because it it almost ruins the experience. I mean, probably some listeners are bored of me saying this because I repeated this <laughs> a thousand times. But if I have some small piece of, of chocolate cake or some small whatever ice cream or something, I just feel like my cravings are ramped up once again. And I don't have that nice, satisfying feeling after the main dish. So it is not even... And people are often looking at me and thinking that I'm I'm obsessive or I'm that strict. And honestly, no, it's just easier for me this way. Um, but anyway, um, what I wanted to ask is uh, after... So if you finish this cut that you're doing and you're getting down to your leanest ever physique, do you have any kind of idea as to what you would be doing afterwards or what would be a, a viable strategy? Um, yeah, I mean, I think one thing I was going to comment on earlier is that it's interesting to see as I've gained muscle over the years and appetite has gone down, like just what's easy for me to maintain. I mean, obviously, like when I was a kid, I was fat. So like, that's kind of like where my natural point was. But now it's honestly hard for me, like just eating normally, like whatever I want kind of a thing to get much over 200 pounds. You know, I know for some people like Steve Hall, they'll have to actually like force feed themselves. For me, it's not to that extent, but well, I guess it depends on the food that I'm eating, obviously, but um, it's just interesting that like, I can still maintain, you know, a crappy four pack or whatever at 200 pounds and, and with it pretty much eating whatever I want. So I would like to get down to about 180, which 2018, I went on a cruise and that was the first time that I had seen below 180 in probably four or five years. Um, and that was re pretty lean for me, not like crazy. Um, so I probably like to get around there this time and see how that looks and then just slowly get up to and maintain around 185. Um, usually whatever I finish at, I'd like to at least have some room to go up a little bit of just even just from like food bulk and increased carbs and, and all of that. But um, I, I'd like to hover around 185 unless I'm, and, and I doubt this would happen. Um, but if I was like surprisingly hungry at 185 or, you know, there were issues there, I wouldn't maintain that. But honestly, it's, it's only 10 pounds away at this point. So I think my 185 will be lean, not nothing crazy, you know, obviously not even remotely contest lean. I'll probably just be getting into like beach lean territory and, and just kind of maintain that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that will, um, 
that that is, I think, ultimately the goal for everybody. I mean, my goal was after I've gotten that super lean, my goal was also to try to maintain kind of a new lean SPR as kind of a permanent state. So I, I figured out what my kind of sweet spot is beforehand, but I was curious if I can sort of change that set point a little bit. But um, yeah, as we talked about this with Eric Helms and some other people as well, probably to find what that spot is for yourself. The best way to do that is not to hit an ultimate like shreddedness PR. I, I'm not saying that you shouldn't do that and you're probably not planning on getting like super, super diced. Uh, but but mm -hmm. for me, at least that level of leanness that I achieved and not even that, but probably the way in which I did that, uh, like, I mean, the fact that I still have that bit of a PTSD kind of thing afterwards speaks of that, that I was just really not in a in a good spot afterwards to maintain a, a, a lower body fat percentage than I have before. But yeah, probably, especially if the gyms open up again and I can train properly and I will feel empowered to do a proper cut, then I will get a little bit leaner again and then I will see if I can maintain uh, something like that. Yeah, kind of one thing that I wanted to touch on which is not strictly related to our topic, but is somewhat, is uh, you mentioned a couple of times that you did these huge cheat meals and cheat days in the past. Uh, how do you feel that has impacted your kind of relationship with food? And um, is that something that you do sometimes still these days? Or in, in general, what kind of effect do you feel that those had on, on you? So I would say in terms of like you're saying my past cheat days, how has that affected me now? Then and and now if it still affects you in any way now? Um, I would say I still occasionally do that, but it's not, it, it's much more controlled. Like before, and again, I haven't really cut down in like two years. So I'm sure the leaner I get, the more I'll feel that draw. I mean, even as I mentioned to you on Instagram, it's like as I start cutting, I'll start to notice like, oh, this food and that food, but the cravings really haven't been bad. And I think that is one of the issues with going too low in calories. But like before, it could literally be like, okay, I'm planning to have like this massive cheat day and it would be 10,000 calories. And I would think about the foods I was going to eat and I would like maybe save foods from the week to eat on that day. I mean, it, it would be ridiculous. At this point, it's usually maybe just more like a meal. Like maybe I'll eat some throughout the day um, and I'll just kind of lighten up. Like I'm trying to think of what I did on like a week ago. A week ago, I had 4,700 calories roughly. So that was like, okay, I got up, I went to the gym. Um, it was the last workout actually before they all closed down. And I had like, just like some fast food, actually. I just ate like probably like 2000 calories of fast food. And then I just kind of hung out for the day. Um, and then at night I had um, some pasta and some cereal. And like for the whole day, like I said, it was 4,700 calories, which, you know, 4,700 calories within two meals. I mean, those are big meals and, and plenty of junk, but it, it wasn't like, man, I'm, I'm eating so much that I'm like feeling uncomfortable or that mindset of like, wow, this is my chance. I think one of the issues with cheat days is that you have this mentality of like, this is my chance to get the food in. And even if like, I could just eat the same food tomorrow, like, let's say you're going to eat you know, by force feeding yourself, you were going to have 8,000 calories. Well, logically, you could just have 6,000, not force feed yourself and have 2,000 the next day, like in theory. But something about that day, which I would, I'm not saying I would recommend, but like that day, people are just like, well, I got to get it all in now. Um, I know if you know Shelby Starnes, he was an enhanced coach, powerlifter, bodybuilder. Um, 
And he would give people like an hour and he would literally just say whatever you want to eat for an hour. And which is like kind of a bizarre thing to do. And again, it's just, it's just strange because his whole thing, I guess, was like, you can only get so many calories in, in an hour, but people would literally like set their clocks and just like pound food and rush. And it's like, man, like just how unenjoyable that, that idea even sounds that you're just going to like force feed all this food as much as you can in an hour, like an eating contest or something. So I definitely don't do anything like that. Um, and again, thankfully, my hunger isn't at the point where like I would even enjoy that. So it it still has some effect. I'll still eventually like, I'll occasionally feel like creeping back in a little bit, but thankfully nothing like it was before. Yeah, uh, this this whole cheat day, cheat meal phenomenon is another one that I just find to be so just intellectually interesting, like the the funny things that it does to human psychology. So I don't I don't know what it is, but there is just this one moment that is kind of stuck in my mind when I was in New Zealand and every Saturday was this big cheat day, basically. I was following John Kiefer's carb backloading and carb night kind of protocols and carb night was this way of eating where you ate really low carb, lower calorie, six days of the week and then one day of the week in the afternoon only because some funky things were supposed to happen with your insulin sensitivity during the day. So after, say, 3 p.m. or something, you could start eating as much junk and sugary stuff as you wanted. And I did this a couple of times until I just figured out that this just doesn't work. But I ate myself sick and I was... Sometimes it would be 11 p.m. or something, an hour or two until bed, and almost anxiously just trying to stuff things into myself because, wow, this is the day, so I cannot leave any stone unturned uh, because, I mean, granted, I I didn't quite believe, quote-unquote, in the calories-in, calories-out model as as much as I do now or as much as I should have, so I didn't quite understand that by force-feeding those extra couple of bites of ice cream and Nutella and this and that, I'm just literally creating extra needless damage, but it is really fascinating how, what kind of reasonable person would do this, and I just remember telling one time to my flatmate, Uh, what I did the previous day and how crazy it was and whatever. And he said, well, you went through the bliss point. I was like, what was the bliss point? And it's like, well, basically that point where things are no longer pleasurable. So you do something really nice, it reaches its peak. And if you keep going after that, it just becomes incrementally less pleasurable and eventually it just becomes a burden. And um, I don't know what's happening in the... in psychology or in the human mind when you reach that point where you're no longer actually enjoying that meal. But I think there is actually something about going past that point and almost hoping that you will hate this food so much after this that it will be easier to eat healthy right. <laughs> after that. I don't know how that works, but it, it is just so fascinating. Yeah, I think, um, and that's uh, that's part of why I would do those fast days afterwards is just because, and it's, it's not like it was before where I'm like, oh my God, like I just don't want to eat anything. But it's more like I just get to the point that I'm pretty full and I'm like, yeah, like I'm, I'm ready to get back to dieting. And that I don't think is a bad thing. Like I said, if you do it to an extreme extent, yes. But if it's like, you know, for me, I mean, 4,700 calories is high, but that's really only, you know, let's say that's 1,700 calories over maintenance. And then how much of that goes towards thermic effect of food and increased need and, and yada, yada. But um, usually I'll be heavier for a couple of days afterwards and then I'll get like a big drop. Like if I look at my weights for the last week, for instance, when I had done that, so that was on Sunday, so after that, I was 
I went from 195.8 to 201.4. So, you know, you're talking a significant amount of weight gain there, you know, about five and a half pounds. Um, but then next day, 199, then all of a sudden big drop to 195.8, 197, now today, 195.2. I'm guessing, and that's with me doing higher calories during the week than I did before, you know. So even with that, by the time I get back to Sunday, I'd probably be down about a pound from where I was. Um, but I kind of like that it gets me to feeling of like, you know what, like I really don't need much more than this, you know, like I could just yeah. kind of go into my dieting phase again. Yeah. Uh, why do you think that is, by the way, that now you feel like you don't need as much food or your appetite is lower than it was before? Do you think it is because you're less active or what, what do you put that down to? I think part of it is increased muscle mass. Um, as far as like just being able to eat more, you know, if I was always having to eat 2,500 to maintain, now I can maintain on like 3,200, I'm just getting to eat more food. So that's, that's one benefit. I think part of it is just age. I mean, you know, it's not like I'm old, 28, but you do hear a lot of people talk about how like when they were teenagers, they were just voracious and then they get into like their late 20s or 30s and they just don't have the same appetite. And like, don't get me wrong, I can still eat a lot, but it's, it's just different than it used to be. Um, and then thirdly, you know, I do have some GI issues. And so I really run into issues now if I start trying to push my body weight, like trying to get up to 205 for like the overhead press gains I was trying to get um, that there was a noticeable issue with like my stomach and like just having issues digesting that. Um, so part of I mean, that was honestly the main reason I cut I would have liked to have extended it longer to try to hit like further OHP things. But um, I just it was like really like not good for my body. So within like a week or two of dropping calories and just not feeling that like need to keep eating the food, I've just felt so much better. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's 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 interesting. So that is the solution. Basically, if you want to stay leaner, just develop some GI issues from eating a lot of food. And exactly. But I mean, jo jokes aside, actually, that's the um, that's basically what uh, gastric bypass surgery does, or isn't it? Um, so the, what that basically does is it decreases the size of your stomach so that you literally just can't eat like you you would be forcing that into your stomach um so it would become uncomfortable and it does actually work for a lot of people but i mean there are people who have, like still eating so much that they actually like break <laughs> that seal um i have a patient recently who had gotten it done and she's down like 30 to 40 pounds um you know she's still quite overweight but she's she's down significantly so that's great um she's actually mentioned that it has changed her taste buds. She said she just doesn't like the taste of things as much anymore, which is interesting. Hmm. Yeah, that is that is that is pretty cool. Yeah, there is just one thing that I always like to point out to people that that does happen inevitably to everyone. I mean, the leaner you are, the more you're going to appreciate blander foods, and that is a permanent change, basically. So, if you're, I mean, a permanent change as long as you stay leaner. So. You know, you would think that, okay, so maybe you're going to be 10% body fat instead of 15 or 12 instead of 18 or whatever. And man, my calories probably will have to be a bit lower. I won't be able to fit in this and that food. But the silver lining there is that probably you also won't crave those foods as much as you did before because lower body fat generally means that you like blender foods better. Uh, so that is that is just something to keep in mind for people. Um, that's why I always say that the initial stages of the diet, so for example, where Greg Knuckles is now, I mean, he's not at the initial stages of the diet because he already lost like 20 or 30 pounds or something like that. But oftentimes when you're higher in body fat, you're not really struggling with hunger. You still have 
really well functioning satiety signals. The biggest problem is, is that you're just so cravy because you're just missing eating those really tasty foods. And that kind of ties into the whole cheat day uh, topic is, and I'm not talking about eating, you know, 35 or 4,000 calories instead of 2,000. I'm talking about really going into these all out, you know, like 10,000 calorie madness type things is that, I mean, if someone is doing that every week, it's just you inevitably forcing your mindset into that way of thinking where, okay, so Monday until Saturday, that's my basically just preparation for that one awesome day during the week, which also means that whatever I'm doing in these days is restrictive, it's unsustainable, and it sucks. And then when I, I have that all out blowout type thing, then that's something to really cherish. And if that is your general mindset, and that is how you're approaching your general day to day nutrition, you will never be able to sustain that in the long term. So that's, that's always kind of my pitch against um, cheat days and just getting into that mindset. For a lot of people, even calling them cheat days already kind of plays tricks on their minds. Um, but I'm sure I, I am intrigued by the approach that you're taking because it sounds like you're auto-regulating these refeeds and it is actually something that keeps you going and it even sounds like there is some weird math magic that goes on with thermodynamics in that you know not all of the calories are stored so you're not regressing with them as much as someone would think if you're just going off of that calories in calories out throughout the week type model so yeah. Are you referring to what I'm doing now or are you referring to when I had like the huge cheat days? Uh, what you're doing now. Yeah. I think right now I still would be following kind of the calories in calories out model. I mean, if I look at my average calories, they're on the lower end. I mean, I started cutting February 10th. Um, so by the time I was tracking, the averages have ranged, like my seven day averages have ranged from a low of 1960 to a high of like 2800. But I mean, if you were to take the average of that whole cut, they're, you know, mid 2000s. And for the last week or so, they've been averaging even with those, you know, higher calorie days, um, maybe about 22 to 2400. So that is a calorie level that I definitely think at my body weight and activity level, I would be losing weight. Mm -hmm. So when I when I mentioned before on things not really adding up, that's really referring to like those massive cheat days. Um, you know, when I had done that day where I had like 20,000 calories, I still lost a pound by the next week. Um, you know, I can eat, I, I guarantee you that like I could eat 10,000 calories today and eat maybe like 1400 the rest of the week and I would lose weight. Um, mm -hmm. you know, so I'm trying to think, let me just do some quick math there. So <laughs> for my weekly average there, that would end up being like, I, I basically it would end up being way over what you would think I could lose weight on. Um, but something happens with that where it just doesn't seem to, to add up. You know, I think that would probably put me at like closer to 2,700 where I probably wouldn't lose much weight. Um, but I'm not trying to say people like, oh, yeah, if you know, if you just binge, <laughs> the calories won't add up. Like your body is definitely very efficient at storing calories. It just doesn't seem to quite add up for me when it's to that level. Um, honestly, like you're probably just cracking some out and you know, other things are happening there, but for the most part, no, I mean, we're still going to be following overall calories and calories out. Yeah, yeah. I have this uh, one memory where uh, it was the meetup with Menno Henselmans' PT course that was in 2016. And we went to Amsterdam and there was this um, guy that took the course together with me. Um, we were hanging out throughout the whole time and we went to a sushi restaurant with the whole group. And by the end of the night, we probably ended up eating well over 10,000 calories. And I mean, you know, 
it was GI explosion by the end of the day. So all kinds of yeah. horrible <laughs> things were going coming out on all ends, basically. But um, I mean, honestly, the next day, it I did feel like I basically didn't put on anything. Now, of course, you cannot really tell in by the next morning, right? Because um, some of these things take time until you deposit sure. fat stores, probably. But, um, you know, probably I did, in fact, not absorb all of that and store it as body fat. Probably a lot of things, a lot of the oils and stuff just passed right through. But it was funny because I wrote on Facebook to this guy and saying, man, maybe I'm just fooling myself, but I don't think I gained any body fat. And then he wrote back to me, yeah, me neither. <laughs> and then then yeah. I and then I got to think that, man, so maybe it is possible that I didn't gain any body fat from 15,000 calories, but the two of us didn't gain any body fat from that. That's a little bit suspicious. <laughs> so right, maybe, right. <laughs> maybe I'm just fooling myself here. <laughs> but yeah. Did I tell this story to you before? I have a deja vu feeling. No, I haven't heard that one. Okay, good. Because, yeah. (laughs) Anyway, um, cool. So I think we covered a lot of cool stuff here. Do you think there is any point that we definitely should have addressed and we didn't? Uh, No, I think we we pretty much covered it. Cool. Then uh, the last question is, you know, as someone who is researching what's happening with the corona situation, uh, can you tell me when my gym is going to be opened? (laughs) (laughs) Dude, I would be surprised if gyms are closed for honestly like two two weeks or sorry two months with the craziness going on. I have no idea in your country though. <laughs> you would be surprised if they were closed or if they weren't. I wouldn't be surprised if they keep them closed for well over a month at this point. Uh, yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, it is. It is just um, anyway. Maybe in the future we can do a separate episode on uh, Corona as well because it's not like something that you cover once because the situation is gonna keep changing and evolving. So. For sure. We will be yeah. more clever about it. Anyway, man, uh, it was it was a really cool episode. So, um, yeah, just let people know where they can find you and all of that good jazz. Yeah, so on uh, YouTube, I am Brains and Gains. That's where the podcast is. Uh, if you just search the podcast app, it, it should come up as like Dr. David McConey, Brains and Gains. Um, and then Instagram is David underscore, sorry, Dave underscore McConey website, drdavemcconey.com. So basically, if you just search my name, you'll probably find me on different different things.